I want to remind you that we're meeting initially. Our initial services in Homestead will be in the theater because it has not yet become clear to us the property that God has ordained for this church plant. And we never want to run ahead of God and make a decision just to do something. We want to wait upon the Lord and do the thing that he is ordering. So our initial services, once they begin on a weekly basis, will be in the Lowe's Theater. But you keep praying that God will make it clear where we should either purchase or rent property as a permanent home for that new church plant. Well, today we're going to continue our study of the book of Acts. And when we last left the Apostle Paul, he had made a journey to hell and back all while he was in Jerusalem. But it wasn't the end of his journeying. Given his perilous predicament, the Apostle appeared or appealed, excuse me, to Caesar. And so he was quickly shipped off to Rome to stand trial. But something happened on the way to Rome. The vessel in which he and his team were traveling, along with Roman soldiers and crew members, ran headlong into a seasonal storm, and it was blown off course. And after a host of desperate but unsuccessful measures, 276 people found themselves facing imminent shipwreck and the certainty of death. And at that point, Paul practiced what he preached. He practiced what he would later write for you and me. You'll remember he later wrote, God comforts us in all of our trials so that we can take that same comfort and pass it on to people in a similar circumstance. Well, that's exactly what Paul did. Earlier, we saw last week when he was discouraged, God appeared to him and said, Paul, keep up your courage. And so as they were facing shipwreck, Paul echoed God exactly. He stood up before that crew and he said these words, Acts 27, verses 22 through 26. I urge you to keep up your courage, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood before me saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who are sailing with you. Therefore, keep up your courage, men, For I believe, God, that it will turn out exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on a certain island. I've entitled today's teaching, Only the Ship. Say those three words with me. Only the Ship. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we have assembled today to hear from you. Nobody wants to hear from me. I don't want to hear from me. We want to hear from you. And Father, it's impossible for me to faithfully echo your heart without the enabling of your Holy Spirit. So I pray that your Spirit will fall fresh on me for this task in this never-to-be-repeated moment in history. 
And I pray that your spirit would fall fresh on everyone in this room and everyone who might be listening on the live streaming, enabling them to hear your voice, enabling them to know what they are to do, and giving them the faith and the courage to do it. And as always, Lord, we pray these things for your reputation in the world and your work in and through your church. And we pray them with confidence because we know your heart and because we pray them in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. And as we study God's Word together today, may the Lord be with you. Since those huge white letters were first hoisted up that California hillside, Hollywood has had a fascination with movies about maritime disasters. And for good reason. Sagas like The Poseidon Adventure, that's old school. Titanic or The Perfect Storm are always good box office. They're money makers because they tap into our fears and they tap into our fascinations. But while disasters at sea command our interest, nobody is interested in being a part of one. I had the opportunity to be part of one, and thankfully, I passed on that opportunity. Lake Erie is notorious for rapidly developing storms that over the years have claimed numerous lives, from men on board large ships and fishermen in smaller vessels. Well, when I was pastoring on the shores of Lake Erie, I was out with some friends walleye fishing when the radio blurted out a Coast Guard warning of a rapidly approaching storm. We were seven miles out at the time. And when you know a storm's coming and you're seven miles out, it gets your attention. So we quickly reeled in all of our lines and headed for port full throttle. And as we did, the waves grew increasingly higher and higher and higher. And when we were still three miles out, the swells were at least six foot high. I had gone down into the galley to fetch something, and as I was coming back out of the galley, we hit one of those six-foot-high waves full speed, just timed it perfectly, and I went flying unceremoniously upward. It was not the rapture. I was coming back. (laughs) I went up and back and could have been seriously injured, but fortunately, I landed squarely on a large styrofoam cooler. Now, it was fortunate for me. It was not fortunate for the cooler. It exploded, sending out shards of styrofoam, lunch meat, cheese, and store-bought donuts that by this point were quite stale. And as I was laying there in the galley amidst lunch meat and donuts, the guys up on the deck just busted out laughing to the point of tears, and I joined them. I mean, it was a funny moment, even if it was at my expense. But our laughter was nervous laughter, because we all knew we're still three miles out. And this is starting to feel rather iffy, but obviously 
we made it. This is not video. I'm actually here. <laughs> we had avoided shipwreck on Lake Erie, but none of us subsequently avoided the inevitable shipwrecks of life. None of us. Because no one can avoid the shipwrecks of life. What do I mean by a shipwreck? A shipwreck is an event or a series of events that appear to put our souls and our future in danger. And Jesus' followers aren't immune to shipwrecks. Last week we said we aren't immune to discouragement. In fact, it's almost inevitable. And in similar fashion, we aren't immune to shipwrecks. They're inevitable. We've all known, or we're going to know, a moment when the ship we've been sailing in, that ability, that strategy, that faith that we hoped would deliver us to some destination, when that ship ends up dashed upon rocks that we didn't see coming, or destroyed on some reef that we tried unsuccessfully to avoid. Now, Scripture underscores this reality. From Genesis to Revelation, it records numerous examples of men and women of faith who had to grapple with a sudden setback, an unexpected loss, an intimidating development, a threatening delay, a painful betrayal, an apparent defeat. And Paul was among them. God had ordained him to proclaim his gospel to the Gentile world. But that would require that Paul would go through three literal shipwrecks. He wrote about that later. And a whole host of emotional and spiritual shipwreck moments in ministry. As we saw last weekend, Jerusalem looked like a total shipwreck. They wouldn't hear him, and they attempted to murder him on several occasions. But Paul learned there is life and ministry after a shipwreck. Last week, we talked about keeping up your courage when you're discouraged. And I said to keep up your courage, you need accurate vision, the ability to see things the way God sees them, which is to say to see things as they really are. Well, today's story highlights something else that is vital to sustaining our courage in times of shipwreck. Sustained courage calls for sustained memory. We have to continually remind ourselves of things God reminds us of continually. Have you noticed how many times in God's Word He uses the word remember? How many times he calls his people, remember, remember what I did in the past, remember what I said to you, remember what I called you to do, remember who you are. I taught from this passage several years ago, and at that time, I listed some of the things we need to remember in order to keep up our courage in a time of shipwreck. And I don't like to repeat messages, so today I'm going to offer some new entries on that list. But I want to repeat just one of them. 
And I want it to be a reminder to you that there is so much more to a passage of Scripture than what meets the eye the first time you read it, the tenth time you read it, the hundredth time you read it. When you study God's Word, you'll always discover there's another layer of information beneath the ones you've already unpacked. And the truth I want to review is foundational to sustaining your courage during a shipwreck. And I say that because if you aren't convinced that God is faithful, courage is impossible. You see, we have this nasty habit of laying the blame for shipwrecks in our life on God's doorstep. We have a number of ways in which we do that. Sometimes we blame him directly. Well, God must have planned this. God must have orchestrated this to teach me some lesson. Or we tell ourselves, well, God didn't plan this, but he knew it was coming, and he could have prevented it, and he didn't. Either way, the blame stays on his doorstep. And that's unfortunate. Because the truth is, most shipwrecks are the inevitable result of living in a broken world among broken people. They are the unavoidable consequence of humanity's addiction to sin and the devastating effects of that addiction. Where the addiction of sin is at work, shipwrecks are inevitable. They are guaranteed. God doesn't need to orchestrate them. Additionally, many shipwrecks are the result of our own poor choices or the poor choices of others or a combination of both of those things. In Paul's case, in this story, it was a combination of nature and the foolishness of the crew that led to Paul's perfect storm. As we said, he was being transferred to Rome to stand trial under military guard. And the Romans has sequestered an Egyptian grain ship for that purpose. Now, the journey to Rome was part of God's perfect plan for Paul. But the route and the timing were not God's doing. They were the result of human impatience and human foolishness. You see, Paul stood up and said to the Roman soldiers and to the crew, guys, we cannot attempt to reach Rome in October. Not in the face of stiff westerly winds. If we attempt to do that, we're probably going to lose the ship and lose our lives. But the crew and the Roman soldiers didn't listen to him. The owner of the boat was concerned about his profits. Perhaps grain was bringing a particular high price in that moment, and he didn't want to gamble that a few months later the price would be lower. So he wanted to press on. And the crew, well, they didn't want to spend several months in port in Cantanning when Pittsburgh was just a little bit further down the coast. They wanted a place where they could be entertained for a couple of months while they were in port. So they threw caution to the wind. And when you throw caution to the wind, the wind usually has a reply. God didn't order the storm. God didn't put Paul and his companions in that storm. God didn't do it in order to give Paul a chance to witness. And God didn't prevent it. 
Because whether you think of it this way or not, the reality is if God intervened every time we made bad choices, our choices wouldn't have any meaning. And if our choices don't have any meaning, we don't have any meaning. None of you would ever vote to have God control every choice you make. No matter how much you trust him, you wouldn't do that because God didn't create you to be like that. You're created in his image, and God is a thinking, decision-making being, and he wants us to reflect that. If God stepped in every time we made a bad choice, we would be reduced to something less than creatures made in his image. And furthermore, we would keep repeating the same mistakes. If every time we did something foolish, God stepped in and said, all right, I'll pay the bill, we'd keep making the same mistake. You know we would. So God didn't cause the storm, and God didn't prevent the storm. It was the result of human foolishness. All that to say this, don't blame shipwrecks on God. Doing so will put you at odds with hope because hope begins and ends with the character and the faithfulness of God. So don't blame shipwrecks on God. I hate the fact that as a culture, we label every natural disaster an act of God. Now let's look at the new entries on the list, beginning with this. When you're in a shipwreck, remember, shipwrecks are inevitable for those who dare to take risks. The potential for great achievement for God is always accompanied by the potential for great shipwreck. They tend to go hand in hand. There's something of a package deal. Those who go through life without experiencing a massive shipwreck are generally people who have avoided risks at all costs. Now, from a distance, when you're going through a shipwreck, it's tempting to envy their smooth voyage. But you see, running from risk, playing it safe, comes with its own set of very negative consequences. When you play it safe, you effectively cap your spiritual growth and your knowledge of God. When you play it safe, it prevents you from reaching your potential in Christ. When you play it safe, you minimize your impact upon this broken world. And all of those things are worse than a shipwreck. The next truth to remember is that shipwrecks are never a total loss for Jesus' followers. The ship may be damaged beyond repair. It may sink beneath the waves, but only the ship. There are still things floating in the water that you can recover. Opportunities, lessons, ministries, things that you'll need, things that you'll value as you move forward, things that will help you continue your journey, and perhaps things that will help you travel further than you would have traveled without the shipwreck. And there are always people to be rescued when a shipwreck occurs. And they matter a lot more than any ship. They make ships every day. 
Remember, our lives as Jesus' followers are more than any ship in which we once sailed. What do you mean, Pastor? What's, what is the ship I once sailed in? Well, it might be a position you held but lost. It might be a salary you received but lost. It might be a reputation you enjoyed but lost, a relationship you valued but lost, a plan you made but lost, an accomplishment you cherished that was lost. The ship we once traveled in may sink, but our identity in Christ, our mission with Christ, our future in Christ survives. In Paul's case, the ship was lost, but Paul and the crew and Paul's team survived. And Paul and his companions didn't lose Jesus. And they didn't forfeit their ministry assignment in in Rome. And the anointing of the Holy Spirit wasn't washed away in the wreckage by the waves. They still had the things that really mattered. You see, for Jesus' followers, the things that mattered most before a shipwreck, they're still there after a shipwreck. They remain. That leads us to the next thing we need to remember. As difficult as it may be to imagine, the future that looks bleak immediately after a shipwreck will look much, much brighter in the future. As Paul and the survivors climbed ashore on the island of Malta, they were wet, they were tired, they were cold, most likely suffering from hypothermia. And what did they encounter as soon as they got on the island? Frigid temperatures and rain. Looked pretty bleak. But shortly thereafter, some of the native population of the island appeared and showed them kindness. They kindled a fire, and the fire rekindled their hope. And it should remind you that when you've experienced the shipwreck, God always has somebody standing by to kindle a fire for you. God always has somebody standing by to rekindle your hope. And you will discover them providing you don't give God an approved list of candidates. (laughs) Providing you're open to God using somebody that you wouldn't have selected. Somebody that you wouldn't have anticipated using them in some way that you would have never requested, providing you don't pull back in seclusion and make pain your permanent address and make doubt your forwarding address. See, many times God has people on hand for us, but we miss them because we're subconsciously saying to the Lord, my help needs to look like this. You know, in our increasingly polarized culture, politically polarized, economically polarized, ethnically polarized, I'm afraid one of the things we're losing in the church is we're losing our capacity to recognize God's help when he wants to bring it through people who are different than us. People who don't share our politics, people who don't share our ethnicity, people who don't share our economy, but they share our Lord and Savior. 
You don't need me to tell you in this nation for a host of reasons, all of them negative. Black followers of Christ, Caucasian followers of Christ have been historically separated and continue to be. What God is doing here is a rarity. And the sad tragedy is that both sides of that divide have lost so much, so much, because we have cut ourselves off from what God wants to say to us through one another. Prejudice will always cap your spiritual growth. Always, always, always. And God says it's where brothers dwell together in unity that he commands rich blessing. And too many times we forfeit our fire. The last thing I would call to your remembrance is that somebody's opportunity for faith may be born with your shipwreck. While the crew was on Malta, God performed signs and wonders through them, miracles of healing, and people came to Jesus. It was an encouraging prelude to Rome. Paul had come from Jerusalem where he was beaten and they wanted to murder him. Now he's going to Rome, and it was going to be no picnic. It would end with his beheading years later. He would follow in the train of John the Baptist. But what a nice interlude people coming to Jesus on Malta. What a reminder. This is what I called you to. This is why you're in this place. Your shipwreck moments may be somebody else's opportunity to find Jesus. Because most people don't want to hear a lecture on what they should believe. But they do liking, like hearing stories of God's miraculous intervention in somebody else's life because those stories give them hope. Well, shipwrecked moments in life can introduce significant loss. I'm not saying they don't. But if we're listening for God, they can also give birth to new directions, to a deeper awareness of God, to a deeper awareness of others, and to a deeper understanding of ourselves. For those who are willing for those who are determined to see beyond the wreckage, to see beyond the heartache, shipwrecks can help us develop wisdom. They can remind us that through Christ we can do all things, that he will never leave us or forsake us, and they increase our capacity for empathy and compassion, which is so much better than flipping people off on social media. Empathy, walking in somebody else's shoes. Compassion, showing somebody else grace. Shipwrecks offer us the opportunity to have our hearts stretched so more people can be taken into our hearts and so that God has more room within our hearts. And they can take us on a journey that goes beyond the moment. Only the ship is lost. And they make new ships every day. The ship carrying Paul wrecked. You remember that scene from Jaws when the old captain says, talking about the USS Indianapolis, something like 1,200 men went into the water, 300 come out, the sharks got the rest. Remember that moment? If not, go back and watch Jaws. <laughs> it, it's on TV every night somewhere. 
Well, this one reads a little different. In this story, 276 men went into the water. 276 men ended up safely on shore, just as God told Paul and Paul told the crew. Only the ship was lost. Not Paul's life, not Paul's ministry, and he later could testify as an old man just before they took off his head, I have kept the faith, I have fought the fight, and I have finished the course. That ship was sunk, but I finished my course. And when you remember God in shipwreck, you'll finish your course as well. No shipwreck can keep us from finishing our God-intended course because only the ship is lost. Now, as we pray together, I want you to take a moment to review life in the rearview mirror. Not to review your text messages to see if somebody tried to get a hold of you, (laughs) but in your mind's eye, review your past, review your shipwrecks, and if needs be, confess, Lord, I didn't really look for you in that shipwreck, but it's not too late for me to learn some valuable things in light of it. So, Lord, rather than rehearsing my pain, rather than making it my permanent address. Take me back to that shipwreck and help me to learn what I could have learned because only the ship was lost. And Father, I pray that for all of us. Help us to look back and dig through the wreckage and discover the treasures that await us. And when we come to the next shipwreck, help us to look for you. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. In just a moment, we're going to...